Uh, let's open our Bibles uh, for the first time in what will be one of many trips to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter number 1, we're going to look at the opening four verses together. The title of the message is simply an introduction to the Gospel of Luke. We're not going to go very far uh, today. I just want to lay the groundwork, set the pace, help us to see why this uh, book is so important, what separates it from the other Gospel narratives that we have with Matthew, Mark, and John, and encourage us on this journey together as we dive deep into the Gospel, Luke, the gospel of Luke in the months ahead. Let's look at God's Word together. You can follow along there with me in your Bibles on the screen or now in your Scripture journal. Let's look together, Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, uh, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Well, as we've already noted, today we begin a new journey, a journey that will take us from the birth announcements of both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, all the way to Christ's death, burial, resurrection, as well as his ascension to heaven. It's the gospel according to Luke, and it's been called one of the finest pieces of historical writing in all of ancient literature, along with Matthew and Mark and John, it is included as one of the four Gospels. And as the longest of all the New Testament books, it should not surprise us to find that it is the most detailed of all the Gospel accounts. I want us to begin by way of introduction with underscoring just who Luke was. Several things that I've put down here in my notes as uh, as a way of uh, backdrop, background to who this man Luke was and what we know about him. And number one, uh, this may surprise you, uh, Luke was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. And this is going to prove to be very important as we walk through the purpose of the gospel of Luke. Because Luke's primary reason for writing this gospel is to introduce Gentiles to Jesus which is vital to our understanding of the theology of Christ's salvation, that God's salvation through Jesus Christ was not, or is not rather, just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. In fact, Luke is the only Gentile, which is a word meaning non-Jew. He's the only Gentile to write a New Testament letter. Of all the New Testament letters we have, they're all written by Jews with the exception of Luke. And Greek students can tell that he had a rich vocabulary and an incredibly articulate command of the Greek language. 
I appreciate those who work on our graphics, putting together a sermon template that shows us a little bit of Greek nature here. This is, this is emblematic of the Greek culture because that's exactly who Luke was. He was a Greek. He was a, he was a Gentile. And he's going to approach the gospel of Jesus from a Gentile perspective, capitalizing on the fact that the gospel is for every nation. It is a gospel not just for the Jews. It is a gospel for the world. So, so Luke was a Gentile. Uh, secondly, in, in terms of background, Luke was a doctor. Paul, in Colossians chapter 4, called him the beloved physician. I don't know if you have a doctor that you see that you would necessarily uh, describe them as such, but Paul did. Paul called Luke the beloved physician. The fact that he was a medical doctor should speak to why his gospel account is the most extensive and artistically constructed. As a Gentile man, he has done his research thoroughly and his care for the individual needs of people as a doctor is clearly and beautifully seen. More than any other gospel, Luke gives some significant attention to the individuals in Jesus' life and ministry. He gives significant attention to the women in Jesus' ministry, something that transcended the first century culture, something that we don't see a great deal of in Matthew, Mark, and John's writings. But Luke, Luke, as a, as a caring, as a, as a personal individual, brings a great deal of attention to the the wonderful women of Jesus' ministry. He also shows a significant heart for babies and children, unlike the other gospel writers. He's drawn to the poor and the societal outcasts that were impacted by Jesus' ministry. And overall, when we study his gospels, we, we learn quickly that he was a lover of people. Again, one, one writer called Luke a tender doctor of souls, not just a tender doctor of the physical realm, but a tender doctor of the, of the spiritual realm. I know not everyone has this privilege, but my wife and I have this privilege to have both medical doctors who are followers of Christ. They're believers. In fact, I can honestly tell you, and my wife would testify the same if she was in here this morning, but when you have four kids every week of your life in the winter, somebody's sick. And so somebody's sick this morning. My wife would tell you that her doctor is a tender doctor of souls. I'll never forget those early moments in our marriage when we experienced several miscarriages, how he would take us out of the medical room and into his office, and there he would pray with us and read Scripture to us and just remind us beyond the medical significance of this, the spiritual dimension of what God may be doing in our lives. It was a very important part. Of our lives to have a medical doctor who was also a tender doctor of souls. As I have gone through significant health challenges, even in my own life, I remember going to see my doctor, not knowing uh, what was wrong with me. And I'm very thankful that my my doctor is not only a good doctor; he's a he's an elder of a gospel-centered church here in town, and so. That first appointment I had with him at a very low moment, difficult moment in my life, 
for 45 minutes, he just prayed with me and read scripture to me before we ever talked about what my physical needs meant. He ministered to my spiritual needs. You know, when, when I read this about Luke, I can't help but think about my own doctors. And perhaps Luke had this reputation as well, the beloved physician. Not only the great doctor of the physical realm, but the beloved doctor of the spiritual realm. And we might find it quite fascinating that we even have his letter today because as we know, most doctors, you can't read their writing. But thankfully, thankfully we can read Luke's writing enough to have it where we have it. Luke was a doctor. He was a Gentile. I wrote down number three here, Luke was a friend. He was a friend. Specifically, he was a friend to missionaries, a friend to missionaries. We learn from the book of Acts that Luke was a missionary companion of the Apostle Paul. And I might add here, he was not just a missionary companion of Paul's. He was an intimate friend of Paul. When Paul was in prison shortly before his martyrdom, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 in verse number 11, Paul said, only Luke is with me. It's actually a a sad list of things that Paul is sharing. He's talking about all these people who've abandoned him, have left him, and, and he says in this statement, but only Luke is here with me. Only Luke is by my side. Speaks volumes. Because it's here again that we note Luke's tremendous care for people. His tremendous feelings for people. He was was that kind of friend to Paul. Now, Luke wrote a sequel to his gospel. Do you know what the sequel to his gospel was? The book of Acts. That's right. So Luke is not only the author of the gospel that bears his name... He's also the author of the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, there are many statements that Luke, the author, makes. Many what we call we statements. We went here. We did this. We observed that. And those we statements in the book of Acts refer to Paul's and Luke's missionary activities which shows us that Luke was indeed intimately involved in Paul's missionary work. And I I think if we were going to add another quality of who this man was, that is Luke, we would say here that Luke was a humble man. Because in both the gospel that bears his name, as well as the acts of the apostles, Luke keeps himself in the background. He never draws attention to himself. In fact, those we statements, we come to understand that they are written by him, but he never mentions himself in that regard. He he simply wanted to be a warm, caring, and helpful friend to those who had given their life to gospel ministry. I'm so thankful for Luke's people who simply want to be a warm Caring, a warm, caring and helpful, a warm, caring and helpful friend to those who have given their life to gospel ministry. Oh, there's enough critics in gospel ministry. There's enough outliers. Thank God for Luke's 
who come alongside of people like Paul who have given their life to gospel ministry and just simply want to be a warm and caring and helpful friend. He was a friend to missionaries. He was a doctor. He was a Gentile. He's also, number four, a historian. I think that's rather obvious, isn't it? And and I only add this in our introduction from the standpoint of not only his opening comments here, and we'll get to those verses in just a moment, but also the historical records that he has given to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through both the books of Luke as well as the book of Acts. He's a historian. You see, unlike many of Paul's writings, which is the vast majority of the New Testament, Paul's writings were primarily instructional. Luke's writings are different. Luke Luke is telling us the story of history, the history of Jesus, the history of the first century church. He's a historian. And then finally I wrote down here, he was a theologian. Luke was a theologian. Again, he's not only an accomplished historian, but he was a skilled theologian. And through his book, we find many prominent theological themes, especially in the Gospel of Luke. We, we find the theme that salvation is for all nations, not just the Jews. We find that at the very beginning when he reminds us that the angels and the shepherds come together and say, this is good news for all people. And so he brings to the surface a great theological dimension of our understanding of soteriology, which is God's salvation is not just for the Jews. It is for all nations. He emphasizes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, who fulfills the Davidic covenant. He talks a lot about pneumatology, which is the Holy Spirit, the theology of the Holy Spirit. In fact, from the very beginning of Luke all the way to the end, he's going to emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. He talks about the fruits of discipleship and how they're interwoven throughout his entire book. One prominent fruit being how that we are to love one another. In fact, we see so much that Luke was a lover of people because he talks a lot about how Christians are to love one another. And of course, as a gospel, he certainly emphasizes the death, burial, and resurrection. It's it's lifted high from beginning to end. This is Luke. And follow me for just a moment. Luke, the theologian, is going to help us grow together in God's grace. Luke, the historian, is going to help us to be certain about our faith in Christ. Luke, the friend to missionaries, is going to help us care for and love people more personally. Luke, the doctor, is going to show us how to come alongside and help not only the physical needs of people, but the spiritual needs of people. Luke, the Gentile, will help us to rejoice in God's salvation as a free gift of grace for all people, not just the Jews. This is Luke. This is whom we are learning the gospel afresh and anew from. Now, there is a name that Luke addresses in the prologue. Its name is Theophilus. Who was Theophilus? Well, 
Sadly, this morning, we don't know with certainty who Theophilus was. Neither Luke nor other Bible writers identify him. At the very, very least, he was a wealthy man with significant social status. We get that hint from the term that Luke uses when he addresses him. He calls him most excellent Theophilus. That term, most excellent, has been used in other scriptures, especially Acts 24, 25, and 26, when Paul would stand before Agrippa and other government officials. He would refer to them as being most excellent. It was a term often used when addressing government officials. So at the very, very least, he, he was a man of significant social status. He was, a, he was a wealthy man, but that's really all that we know about him. What is clear is that he is either a new convert or a serious inquirer of Christ and Christianity. Because Luke says he is writing this gospel account so that Theophilus and others like him will be certain about the things they are learning. That they will have confidence about the message that they are receiving regarding Christ and Christianity. Well, we begin our study of Luke by understanding what kind of account Luke's gospel is. He outlines that for us in the first four verses. So uh, introduction-wise, we look at who Luke is. He's a Gentile. He's a doctor. He's a friend. He's a historian. He's a theologian. Now, what kind of book is Luke writing? What kind of account does he give us? Four things I want you to write down here. Number one, uh, it's a gospel account. All right? It's a gospel account. Uh, verse 1 says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, he says in verse 3, it seemed good to me also to write. All right? To write. Now, the, the key word here in verse 1 is the word narrative. The word narrative. That's what Luke is. Luke, I'm talking about the book of Luke. The book of Luke is a gospel narrative. It is a gospel narrative from the moment of his enunciated birth to the glory of his heavenly ascension. This narrative centers on the gospel mission of Jesus Christ, which is supremely important to understanding the entire biblical narrative of God's redemptive purposes in the world that he created, a world that was ruined by fallen sinners. How is God going to redeem that world? Will God redeem that world? And what is it going to take to redeem a fallen world. Well, that's what Luke is doing. Luke is showing us the narrative of the life of Christ within the whole narrative of biblical redemption. Luke shows us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made in the Garden of Eden that there would come from the seed of a woman a victorious Savior who would crush the head of Satan and bring salvation from sin and death. So Luke opens up his book by saying here in verse 1, I have compiled a narrative. I've put together a narrative, listen to this, of the things that have been accomplished among us. Another word that could be used interchangeably here for the Greek word accomplished is the word fulfilled. 
He's saying, I'm putting together a narrative of the things that have been fulfilled, the things that have been accomplished among us, specifically the events concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And how that Jesus of Nazareth fulfills the Old Testament prophecies showing us that it is Jesus of Nazareth who is the Son of God. It is Jesus of Nazareth who is the Messiah, the Christ. It is Jesus of Nazareth who is the Savior for all nations. It's a gospel account. It's a gospel account. So in very simple terms, a gospel account is a true narrative about the person, life, and mission of Jesus Christ. That's what a gospel account is. It is a true narrative of the person, life, and mission of Jesus Christ. I've already mentioned this. Most of you would know this already. That there are four gospels in total in the New Testament. Uh, Most of them have their unique focus. In fact, I'd say all of them have their unique focus and emphasis. But Luke's is the most extensive. It's the longest of the gospel narratives, and it's the most detailed. And at the heart of it, Luke is showing us the very gospel of Jesus. That he, Jesus Christ, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man, the Son of God, God in the Spirit, God in the flesh, That he came into the world to seek and to save the lost. That's at the heart of Luke's message. That Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. And that is the gospel this morning, friends. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ came. He came not to build just a simple religious gathering. No, he came to seek out sinners. He came to save sinners. He came to save us. And that's what Luke wants us to know. Jesus came. This is the gospel. He came to seek and to save the lost. It's a gospel account. Secondly, right down here, it's a reliable account. It's a reliable account. We see that in verse 2. So this narrative that he's put together, he says in verse 2 that it was passed down to him by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses as well as ministers of the word. So, So Luke is not writing religious mythology intended to inspire readers. No, what he wrote here really happened. It really happened. And he says by way of introduction that it is accounted for by those who were first-hand eyewitnesses. That those whom he has compiled this narrative together with are those who were there They saw Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They heard Jesus preach. They watched him perform miracle after miracle. And not only were they there as eyewitnesses, they were also there as ministers of the word. They were there when he was crucified. They were there after he rose from the dead. Luke wants us as his readers to know that this is a reliable account based upon the facts of eyewitnesses. And of course, 
Not only are they eyewitnesses, they are ministers of the word. That is, Luke has done his research from those who not only saw him, but from those who ministered alongside of him. It might even very well be a reference to the fact that Luke used Matthew. And Luke used John, maybe Peter. Mark was Peter's writer. That's how we look at Mark's gospel. It was really Peter's gospel. Mark was the one doing all the writing. Peter was telling the story. So so perhaps Luke is saying here, I even sat down with Matthew. I sat down with Mark. I sat down with John. I sat down with Peter. I I sat down with the other disciples, and, and I made sure everything was accurate, that it was exactly as they saw it, that it was exactly as they experienced. And that's his point. He wants his readers to know that the historical account of Jesus came from the best, most authentic, written, and oral sources. His gospel was grounded in solid, reliable evidence. Luke also acknowledges in verse 3 that he himself has followed all of these things related to Jesus very closely, do you see that, for a long while. He puts the emphasis on those who are actually there. But he says, I just want you to know a little bit of my credentials too. I've been following this thing a long time. A long time. He wasn't a detached author writing about something he knew very little about. He was an accurate, reliable historian. Now why is that important to us? Because we need to know. That is, if our faith is going to remain unshaken, we need to know that what is given to us through the Word of God is historical, reliable fact. I don't receive the Bible like some myth of books that you can pull off of any shelf. No, I open this word and I recognize that everything about it is true. From beginning to end, this is reliable. It is grounded in truth. It is historical fact. And that was important for Luke to get across. Of course, we have confidence as well in what is said about the Bible and the remainder of Scripture. I appreciate the fact that Luke is drawing us to the historical reliability of the Bible, but then we also recognize that all Scripture is breathed out by God, that although Luke was writing this, it was the Holy Spirit who was moving upon him to write God's Word as God desired for it to be written. Listen to me, friends. You should never question whether or not what we have is indeed the truth. We have the truth. The Bible writers declare it as truth. God himself declares it as truth, in fact. And by faith, we receive it as so. It's a reliable account. It's a gospel account. Thirdly, it's an orderly account. It's an orderly account. Now, I personally appreciate this because I love order and structure. As if you couldn't tell that. And anyone, honestly, who's going to rightly articulate the Word of God and administrate the work of God needs to prioritize order and structure. 
And it's clear from the gospel itself that Luke did this. And in verse 3, we see that his structure here was purposeful. Look at what he says in verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. An orderly account for you. Now, I don't think that Luke is taking a cheap shot at Matthew, Mark, and John here. As if to suggest that theirs wasn't orderly, all right? I don't think that's what he's doing. I just think he wants us to understand that he has gone through painstaking efforts to ensure that how he has put this gospel narrative together is done in such a way that it easily flows within the life of Christ. Not everything in his book is in chronological order, but most of it is. I think he wants us to understand that when he addresses certain themes, that those themes have been ordered and structured in a way that we can easily see the flow of it. That's why it's best when we read a gospel narrative, that we read it down a section at a time in one sitting. We need to understand how those things flow as they have been ordered and structured for us. He's investigated his sources carefully. He's written up his material methodically. Throughout his writings, he structured these stories, these these themes in orderly fashion. We, We could say that they were systematically and carefully prepared. He's a doctor. Why wouldn't he give so much detail to such a significant piece of literature? For example, let me give you a couple things. Luke's gospel account is the only one of the four gospels to begin with the annunciation of John the Baptist's birth, which is important to the prophecies of the Old Testament, indicating that John the Baptist was the forerunner who would come along and prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. He's the only one that shows us how all of that took place. In fact, were it not for Luke, then most of the stories related to the nativity of Christ, we wouldn't even know. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, Matthew's covering of the nativity was purely to convince the Jews that he had actually come through the lineage of David. That's why the bulk of chapter 1 in Matthew is given to us to show the lineage of Jesus Christ. But then after he shows that, he gives us a few angelic appearances. He throws in the wise men, and that's it. Mark and John skip it all together. Mark goes right into his temptation, his baptism and temptation in the wilderness. John mentions the fact that Jesus was from the beginning, showing us that Jesus is God. But he doesn't give us any detail. Luke is the only one who does that. So we have Luke to thank for our nativity scenes. Our angelic presentations, the songs of Mary and Simeon and others that we will unfold in the next coming weeks. We can also thank Luke for the stories of Zacchaeus, that wee little man who climbed the sycamore tree. You remember him? None of the other gospels address Zacchaeus. Luke does. Luke is the only gospel that addresses the repentant thief on the cross, the one whom asked Christ moments before dying to forgive him. And Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Luke's the only one who covers the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appears to them. 
He's the only one who covers the famous parables of the Pharisee and the publicans, the rich man and Lazarus, as well as the prodigal son. We have Luke to thank for these things. I think this is what he means here when he says he's done this in an orderly fashion. He has arranged these stories in such a way that he is presenting the gospel of Jesus to Gentiles with a much greater emphasis on the theology of Christ, an emphasis that he is very passionate about. So it's an orderly account. And then finally, number four, it's a purposeful account. It's a purposeful account. Verse four, he says, I'm writing to you, Theophilus, that you may have, here's the word, certainty. This is the purpose of it. I'm writing to you that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Now, of course, he's addressing Theophilus, but not just Theophilus. He's addressing every Gentile who receives this gospel account. He wants us to know that the purpose of this letter is to introduce us as Gentiles to Jesus. That his purpose, and by the time we finish his account, he wants us to have absolute certainty about our faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That's the purpose of Luke's gospel. In fact, that's the purpose of all Scripture. The purpose of Scripture is to give us absolute certainty about Jesus Christ. You don't need Scripture and a dream to be convinced of His reality. You don't need Scripture and a few other commentaries or books to be convinced of His reality. No, all Scriptures in and of itself shows us certainty that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It shows us with absolute certainty that He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world who satisfied God's wrath on our behalf. David Murray, pastor in Illinois, said confidence in the Scriptures builds confidence in our salvation. I think that's what Luke is saying here. As you gain confidence in this reliable historical source, my desire is that it will bring greater confidence in the salvation that you've been given by God's grace. The Word of God, it it exists to awaken our souls. It exists to answer our doubts and questions. It exists to lead us to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it exists to nurture our hearts in the grace of God. And Luke wants us to know before we ever get started... That what he is writing is true. It is reliable. And that alone, it's truth and reliability. That alone should cause you and I to receive it by faith and believe it with absolute certainty. For the fundamental reason that I can give you for becoming a Christian this morning the fundamental reason for why you need to become a Christian is because it's true. That's the fundamental reason. That's the most basic, simplistic argument for why we need to follow Christ as Lord and Savior. Because everything we know about Christ in the Word of God is true. And Luke wants to make it clear. 
that what is true is he came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save you. You. Now, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Yes, you who are not Jews. You who are not morally clean. You who are already religious. You who've grown up in church. You who this is your first time in church. You whose grandmother always said, you're an angel. And you whose grandmother said, I won't fill in the blank. This is who he came for. And Luke says, if you'll allow me, I'd like to tell you why. Why Jesus is not only the Savior of the Jews. He's the Savior of every nation. Friends, are you absolutely certain that Jesus is the Lord of your life? The Jesus who came to call you out, to seek you out, and to save you. Have you trusted him? Have you believed in him? Are you following him? I can't think of any better way to begin this season we call Christmas than to put your faith in the facts that I am a sinner. And without Jesus Christ, I have no hope. I'll believe him. I will trust him to do for me what I cannot do for me, myself. Friends, this is what Luke wants us to know with absolute certainty that we belong to Christ. And if you can't say in your heart this morning with absolute certainty that you belong to Christ, I beg you, please give me a few minutes at the conclusion of this service. I would love nothing more than to show you some more facts from the greatest reliable source in the history of the world of why Jesus came for you. Let's stand together.